at Monday, April 27th, 2020, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important offices, resources, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. I hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. And before we start, and you may have already seen this, but Army veteran, Medal of Honor recipient, Special Forces legend, and former Born the Battle guest, Benny Atkins, lost his battle with COVID-19. If you knew him, I'm truly sorry for your loss. You know, when you take over a podcast at episode 135, you don't always get to go through and listen to every episode in the library. But when I heard of Benny's passing, I took the time to listen to his episode. Uh, the former host, Tim Lawson, wrote of Benny, Benny's Medal of Honor citation has more action in it than most war movies. There is no type of veteran that deserves the designation hero more than patriots like Benny Atkins. Uh, real quick, here's a quick excerpt of their conversation. The reason I bring this up is that uh, once I arrived in the country, the military decided that I needed international driver's license. Well, they sent me down at that time period down to Saigon and uh, uh, issued me international driver's license, photographed me, and I like really, I really needed this. But uh, two days later, I made a parachute jump into a mountain yard village in the Vietnam, and uh, the only uh, international driver's license I needed for that was to drive two of World War II deuce and a half trucks, and uh, the village chief had a, a, a pony. So that was the international driver's license. The reason I bring this up, uh, nine years and 19 body wounds later in that country, this photograph shown up with the North Vietnamese offering so much for me dead or alive. So they asked me, would you like to go back to Vietnam today? No, I don't think so. That warranty may still be uh, valid. Yeah, you don't hope no one's still trying to cash that in, huh? Again, that was Benny Atkins from episode one, number 114. If you didn't know Benny's story, and you want to honor him in some way, I encourage you to listen to that episode. So then you can know a little more about the legend that we lost and help keep his memory alive. We honor service. So a little tidbit on something that happened last weekend. Uh, we were, again, the number one podcast in the government category on Apple Podcast for almost a week. And we charted in the top 50 for all podcasts in America for the majority of the, again, for the majority of the week peaking at number 23. I think that day we beat out names like Conan O'Brien, NPR, Washington Post, and we ended up right under Dave Ramsey. Just humbled, and it was incredible to see. Again, uh, we couldn't do this without you, as that algorithm is not only based on pure download numbers, but the reviews and ratings that you leave for others. So thank you. And I noticed we cracked 200 ratings, and we got two new reviews this week. First one comes from 46 Alpha, which is the Army's public affairs MOS. Five stars. Excellent podcast. Interesting topics and well produced. Thank you for the review, 46 Alpha. Always good to hear from a, a former military visual information specialist. Next one is from Flowerland. Five stars. Well done. I'm training for a career as a VA healthcare provider. 
These interviews are an enjoyable way for me to learn about the diverse experiences and perspectives of veterans. Thank you for the review, Flowerland. Of course, this podcast was designed for veterans, but another goal is to educate VA employees about the population they serve, our culture, our mindset, what have you. So again, thank you for the review, Flowerland, and I look forward to you serving our veteran population. Again, those ratings and reviews and those who have recently subscribed uh, go a long way to pushing this info in these episodes higher in the Apple podcast algorithms. So this podcast and the info and the stories in them can get in front of even more veterans. For those listeners on Spotify or Google Podcasts or another podcatching app, uh, thank you for listening. Keep listening. I haven't figured out how those algorithms work. Uh, might be just listening and subscribers. So thank you for doing both of those in advance. Okay, news release time. Okay, wow, there were eight, count them, eight press releases since our last episode. For the sake of brevity, because eight would take me probably, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes to go through, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you the title to each one, maybe a sentence or two, and then give you the website to read them all. Because there are some that you're going to want to read through. Ready? All right, here we go. Press release one says a VA announces fourth mission actions to help America respond to COVID-19. For context, VA's fourth mission is in times of crisis, provides services to the nation based on the requests from states, while being clear that veterans do come first. All right, press release two says VA, Facebook, and American Red Cross provide Facebook's portal calling devices to veterans, caregivers, and families. Uh, basically, VA partnered with Facebook to provide more than 7,400 portals to qualified veterans, and the American Red Cross's Military Veteran Caregiver Network distributed them. In that press release, there is a link to be put on a wait list if you qualify. All right, press release three. VA partners with Treasury Department to deliver economic impact payments to veterans and survivors, which means the VA announced that it is working directly with the IRS and U.S. Treasury to ensure delivery of the CARES Act payments for veterans and survivors who receive VA compensation and pension benefits without extra paperwork. Okay, and next one, press release four. VA acquired a former Garland Baylor Community Hospital in Texas to increase its capacity to fight COVID-19 and increase its capacity for the future. It will be part of the VA North Texas healthcare system. All right, press release five. VA and DOD implement new capability for bidirectional sharing of health records for community partners. That's huge, guys. Uh, that's huge. Basically, FEHRM. I guess they added the word federal to the Electronic Health Record Modernization System. Very well. Uh, FEHRM is aiming to eliminate that whole scanning your health record when you leave active duty. Uh, it'll just automatically port over to VA. Uh, that just got implemented, and I'm going to tackle that one for you all on a future benefits breakdown. Okay, press release six. VA's telehealth system grows as veterans have access to unlimited data while using VA Video Connect app. Basically, VA struck a deal with T-Mobile's track phone for those that buy minutes and data as they go. If you're using VA's Video Connect for telehealth appointments, that app does not count against your data. Okay, press release seven. We're almost home. Uh, if you want to see a timeline of all of VA's COVID-19 support, which actually started before the WHO declared COVID-19 as a pandemic, there's a press release for that. And finally, number eight, VA researchers to study COVID-19 in aging veterans with dementia. Providence VA Medical Center began in early April studying the effects of coronavirus on veterans who are living in VA community living centers through the National 
through a National Institute on Aging grant. Their primary focus will be on the potential effects of COVID-19 on nursing home patients with cognitive decline resulting primarily from dementia. Okay, that was all the Cliff Notes version. If you want to read the full news releases, every word, you can find them at va.gov forward slash OPA forward slash P-R-E-S-S-R-E-L, press rel. All right, so this week's guest served 35 years in the Army and retired as a lieutenant general. His last assignment, he was the deputy chief of staff, which means he was the senior logistics staff officer for the entire Army. If you can imagine being in charge of the entire supply chain of the Army, uh, management, maintenance, transportation, contingency planning, energy, etc., crazy. Of course, to get to that point, you have to serve in every capacity for logistics from platoon to national levels, to which he did. He also served in multiple tours overseas. He was with the 82nd in Grenada. He was with the 3rd Army in Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and also had tours in Germany, Australia, Korea, and Hawaii. Currently, he is the Director of Army Emergency Relief, whose mission is to help active and retired soldiers and their family members during times of financial emergencies. So, without further ado, I bring to you Lieutenant General Raymond Mason, retired. Enjoy. All right. How's it going, Tanner? Good. Good. So, Lieutenant General Raymond Mason. Yep. President Uh, accounted for, (laughs) by all accounts. You know, sir, reading your bio um, of everything in there, uh, I think one thing that stuck out the most was that your son was a PGA Tour golfer. Well, he's a professional golfer. Okay. He's played in PGA Tours. He's not currently on the tour. Roger. He'd like to be on the tour. <laughs> is he is he looking uh, is he looking for it? Looking oh yeah, yeah. It? He's yeah. chasing it like a lot of guys are. Yeah. Uh, he's played in the US Open. In fact, we were just out in Hawaii. He was trying to qualify for the Sony Open. But yeah, no, great kid. He's not a kid anymore. I mean, he's in his <laughs> mid 30s. So, uh but you know, he was an All-American college, so uh it's a tough it's a tough gig. You know, every year there's 125 guys that or at the top of the money list, everybody else below that's chasing the the money, chasing the money. Yeah. So anyway, he's a good or, kid. I also my daughter uh, was uh, serving in the army for five years as a civilian hmm. in Germany in Stuttgart. She ran child development centers. Oh wow! Which is one of the topics we're going to talk about. Absolutely. So, proud of both my kids. My wife and I met in college at James Madison University. JMU, uh, JMU Dukes, who so, almost came won the national championship again, missed it <laughs> by a bit. Uh, they've they've won. Um, they've been come in second a couple times. So great place. Uh, I've always heard. Now my wife was a hokey. Yeah, oh, my oh. daughter's a hokey. So okay. She, yeah. Yeah, no, I've always heard JMU is the place to go if you're. Uh, there's not, getting, as, not, 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 minute, not as many guys. There, not as many guys there. <laughs> As there are girls. Well, that's right, because when I started there, it was probably about 70% uh, women. And uh, with my great face for radio, I need all the odds I can get. But no, I'm, my <laughs> wife's a lovely lady, beautiful, and she puts up with me. So I, what can I say? Hey, that's, those are the best I kind. actually started the RTC program with a couple other of my buddies at, at JMU. Oh, really? Didn't exist. And I went there to play football, got hurt, uh, needed some money, so ended up uh, – couple of us got together, went over to UVA, across 33, across the mountains there, and talked to the professor of military science. And he, he agreed to begin a pilot program and uh, worked out great. So it's a magnificent program there at JMU now, one of the best in the country. I was wondering, uh, uh, 
you know, one of my first questions was going to be, why did you, why did you decide, what made you decide to join the military join in the first the place? Yeah. Well, my dad was in the army for 30 years. Um, and you know, he's a world war two Korea, Vietnam vet. And, uh, Roger. yeah, so I grew up in that life. Uh, he, he didn't, you know, you know, really direct me one way or the other, gave me great sound advice. And as you know, my college years went along and like a lot of folks, I said, well, you know, I'll do a, do a stint in the army three years and go off and do something else. And, you know, loved being around soldiers, had some magnificent assignments in Fort Bragg at the grade 82nd. And, and, and one thing led to another before, you know, it, 35 years went by. So it went by pretty quick, actually, in hindsight, 35 <laughs> years in the, in the, in the army. Yeah. You must've had a, either a best friend or, or a mentor that sticks out. Tell me about one. Yeah, sure. I had a number of incredible mentors that took care of me. Uh, the first guy I worked for uh, as a general officer, uh, a guy named Ken Louie, I was his aide, and he kind of got me started in the right direction. I was an aide for a four-star, General Tuttle, uh, and his wife, Helen, and we still stay in touch with them. Just, you know, you look up gentlemen in the dictionary, there's a picture of him and, and Helen, uh, general man and general woman, just incredible people. My brigade commander when I was a battalion commander, Bob Dale, is retired as a three-star. Johnny Wilson, who was... Uh, African-American, started off as a private in the Army and retired as a full four-star general. Oh, wow. Great mentor. Um, I still see him now and then. So I've been blessed. And I had some incredible non-commissioned officers. I remember my first platoon sergeant, Bill Hicks, retired as a sergeant major. My sergeant major, George Duncan, lives down in, uh, in near Fort Hood. We, still are, we are friends. Uh, we call each other your battle buddy and my battle buddy. <laughs> um, Mark Chance, who was my last sergeant major in the Army, at G4, Army G4, great, great non-commissioned officer. I've been blessed with yeah. NCOs. If you were to pick one out and to say they taught me X, what's what's the first yeah, one that pops to your mind? Well, I mentioned Johnny Wilson. Let me tell you a little story about General Johnny Wilson. He, he was down to earth. He, he was kind of, he reminds me like what how they used to describe Omar Bradley, this, the okay. soldier's general, right? Yeah. This is one of the little things he used to do, which was amazing to me, and so we would go to an installation. I used to travel with him. We'd go to an Army base, and we'd arrive in civilian clothes. He would always go to the barber shop first, and he'd sit down and get his hair cut, even if he didn't need it. And he would talk to the barbers. Hey, what's going on on the post? What are soldiers worried about? What's their concerns? Barbers are kind of like bartenders, right? Absolutely. They hear all the scuttlebutt from the troops. Interesting. And he would hear all that, and then when we went to our first meeting, he would start telling the leaders in this, in the, at the installation, hey, this is what I'm hearing. This is what's going on. They're like, sir, how do you know this stuff? It, just that kind of basic, great soldiering and leadership, that's just one example. He, he, I admire him very much, and he is exactly who he appears to be. Humble, smart, tough, humility, all those things. Very good. General Mason, I noticed that uh, you were in the 82nd Airborne. You were the support command officer for for Grenada. Yeah. And I'm assuming back that's back in the 80s. Yeah, it was 83. It was October of 83. Jeez, at some points it seems like it was just the other day. <laughs> yeah, I was a operations officer and ended up being the operations officer forward for uh, my brigade commander, Bill Daly, uh, retired colonel, great, great, great airborne warrior. Anyway, I could tell you stories about that, but it was an exciting couple of days there. I'll tell yeah, you. Not Went many quick. people know about, about that, yeah. you know, those smaller actions in the 80s, Panama, Grenada, right. all these other ones. How did how did your command support the 82nd in that, in, that, in that action? Yeah, so we were really there. It was a logistics command, of course, so we were bringing in the beans and the bullets. Everything was via an air bridge, mostly coming out of Fort Bragg, pallets mm-hmm. of ammunition, pallets of food, pallets of repair parts pallets of water 
We started then. We got the uh, water purification units in and started doing that, medical support. I actually flew in with a bunch of me- medics who had uh, blood and things of that nature. So um, it was a pretty quick operation. We did lose some American soldiers, unfortunately, mm. but we were able to restore democracy to Grenada. Grenada is a thriving island now in the, in the uh, Spice Island chain. In fact, I know a lot of people that have gone there on cruises, so yeah. it, it turned around. I also noticed that you were the senior mission commander in Hawaii for a time. Now, my father-in-law, uh, he, he spent close to a third of his 30-year career in Hawaii. Loved every minute of it. Was he, and, was he a Marine as well? No, he was a soldier. Oh, okay. He, uh, missile defense. Uh, sure. Uh, retired chief officer five. You know, we went back last year, and it's the first time I ever went to Hawaii, and he showed me, you know, as much as he could show me in a week, you know. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite command or duty station while you were in? Well, I mean, Hawaii was certainly a tough, tough assignment there in Hawaii. Tough dude. No, I mean, we, we were, we had units all over the Pacific. So we, you know, that the Pacific theater, while in many ways is considered a Navy theater. And, and I, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of ground forces and there's, you know, 30 nations that we're involved with. And most of them are, have ground forces, not big Navy. So a lot of engagements. And so while I, I loved my time in Hawaii, two tours there, once in the 25th Infantry Division, went back and commanded the 8th Theater Sustainment Command, which had responsibility for Army logistics and some joint across the Pacific. Mm. Uh, Hawaii certainly a highlight, but I also got a chance to serve with the Australian Army in 87 to 89, and that was a unique opportunity. I got to command an Australian unit. Uh, Interesting. I was so impressed by the uh, capabilities, the professionalism, and frankly, work hard, play hard for sure with the Australians. But yeah, I, I would say Australia was certainly in the top few assignments in my life, without a doubt. Absolutely. Retirement. How did retirement come for Lieutenant General Mason? Well, you know, when you're a, a three or a four star, you serve at the pleasure of the secretary and the chief of staff of the army, and that's fine. Back the day you get promoted to three star, guy shows up in your office and you sign a letter and it says that upon three years of completion of your time, uh, you'll submit your resi- your submit your retirement paper unless the chief tells you otherwise. Interesting. Well, General Odierno, again, a leader I admire very much, was yeah. the chief. When my three years were coming up, he uh, called me up to his office and said, Ray, I love you like a brother, but I got nothing else for you. Mm. Sir, got it. Understand. Uh, there was no four-star assignment for me. But look, it, it you know, I look back on 35 years, don't regret a moment of it. Uh, but, you know, looked on for whatever was going to happen next in my life. So yeah. shed a few tears, but nothing too uh, ridiculous. But I miss the people. Get to run into them every now and then. But that's what I miss most about it was uh, the soldiers I got to serve with. I think that's a lot. I think that's true for a lot of veterans. Is you just remember the, 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 the people. You know, yep. not, not as much as you know, the institution's great. Um, it's a great place to grow up in. Uh, but definitely the people, I think, is where people look back and go, that's that's what I miss the most, the camaraderie between, between soldier to soldier most definitely. Or, or Marine to Marine. That's what it's about. Soldiers fight for I, each other. I did not know that it was a, a paper you actually had to sign. Oh, you know, yeah. You always hear, <laughs> you know, and and enlisted ranks and, you know, you always hear that you serve at the pleasure of, and then when it's your time. I didn't know it was an actual paper you had to sign. It's kind of surprised me myself, to tell you the truth. When the guy showed up in my office, I said, okay. Like the secret society. <laughs> yeah, well. That's interesting. Now, you and I roughly got out at the same time. You got out in October 2014. Yeah. I got out in January 2015. Now, if you're listening, you can go back to episode 134, and you can hear about my transition about that around that time. But what was it, what was it like for Lieutenant General Mason to get out into the world after 35 years in the Army? 
Yeah, well, as I was, you know, coming close to retirement, I thought of thought about what do I want to do, and uh, my wife and I really wanted to stay in the D.C. area. My mom, who's 92, lives in this area. I have some family in this area, and my wife grew up in Williamsburg. So Virginia is, has kind of been a, a home for us. My dad retired in 70, and we moved up here to D.C. So location kind of made sense. I think you do that first. And then I looked around for a couple different things that might might work for me, and and uh, work for our family. And so um, I ended up talking to, uh, again, another mentor of mine, uh, General John Coburn, who was the CEO of a company. So I worked for him and that team for um, about two years. But then I got a call from uh, my predecessor, Lieutenant General Bob Foley, Medal of Honor recipient, mm-hmm. an amazing leader and patriot and warrior and I mean, a hero. So Bob called me up, General Foley called me up and said, asked me if I was interested in throwing my name in the hat to join AER, uh, replace him. And I didn't hesitate. I said, you know, I love what I'm doing. This is a great job. But being back with soldiers, you know, and helping families, geez, what could be better than that? Yeah. So I tell people this is the second best job I ever had in my life. And people say, all right, what was the first? We already alluded to it. Being a battalion commander in the great 82nd Airborne Division, tough to beat that, but this is right behind it. Because mm. every day we're helping soldiers and their families, you know, kind of weather the the storms of life, and, and particularly in our case, the financial storms that occur. Danny Chung, who's the who's the chief of staff of, of Microsoft Military Affairs and yeah. former OIC of mine. Is that right? Yes, sir. He said in, in his interview that even though he had over 10 years of transition since I interviewed him to the time he got mm. out, that he still hadn't fully transitioned into, into <laughs> civilian life. Um, do you feel like you fully transitioned, or do you think there's some truth to that statement? Well, I think there is. I mean, you know, the the two years I worked for a comp- that VTS company, we had a number of military contracts, so I was engaged with military folks. This job now is like being back in the Army, except I don't have to take that new PT test. It's pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I work around five now six magnificent sergeant majors retired in AER. My deputy is a colonel. My C- chief financial officer is lieutenant colonel. We got some other military folks in the office. So I'm kind of back in the army. So there's there's some truth to that. Sure. You know, there's the age old story about the day after the general retires, walks out to his you know the car, gets in the back seat. There's nobody in the front seat to drive him anywhere. He's like, well, what the heck happened? You know. <laughs> so no, I, I never really had that experience. You know, again, I I I think I've transitioned, but in a sense, I've also transitioned back in. So. It's Mm. You know, it's the circle of life, I suppose. Yeah, you're still in the in the soldier world. Yeah, and I get to travel around the army, and you know, get to see soldiers and families. Army emergency relief fund, and I'm assuming that that fund is something similar to the Navy relief fund. Yeah, that that I'm familiar with during my time in. But for those that may not be familiar with these these funds, can you give a brief description of what the Army emergency relief fund is? Sure. So we've been around 78 years. Stood up in 1942 by then Secretary of War Stimson and the Chief of Staff of the Army in 1942, George Marshall. And the mission statement was to relieve financial distress on the force. And in fact, the USO gave us our first initial dollars, the kind of seed dollars to get us started. And they're still a magnificent partner of ours. And what we are all about is helping soldiers and their families when uh, they face tough financial challenges. By the way, you mentioned the other relief agencies, so Navy Marine Relief, Air Force Relief, and Coast Guard Relief. We're all very similar. We have some, you know, individual nuances to our services that meet our services, you know, kind of culture and creed and so on. But we're all very close, and we talk all the time. We all have very similar missions. So in our 78-year history, 
We've been the conduit through which about $2 billion in assistance has been provided to about 4 million members of the Army team. Wow. By the way, a billion of that since 9-11. Wow. Our, a military and a, and a nation at war for 20 years puts a lot of stress on families, and so that demand has gone up. The, the issue is, you know, the soldier faces an issue. Come in to see us at AER. We're located at 70 places around the Army inside Army Community Service. Again, very similar to the other services. By the way, any military member can go into any other relief agency and be supported. I was going to ask that. Yeah. You know, as a Marine, can I go to Army? Or yeah, you can. You're supposed to go to your nearest Marine facility, in this case, Quantico, if it's in within 50 miles. Sure. But if you're outside of 50 miles or it's an urgent requirement, you could go to Fort Myers, a Marine, into the, into the Army Emergency Relief Office at ACS. Now, they're going to they're gonna handle the case underneath Navy Marine rules sure. and policies, and the money will eventually come from Navy Marine, but the person at AER is going to help you out. There's a way that you guys can. Exactly right. The other piece is you can always call the American Red Cross. 24-7, you call the American Red Cross, they're going to work the case. They have a certain amount of authority to issue dollars directly from them. Usually we send the Red Cross will send that to a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, or coast guard man uh, by, to the nearest Western Union. Every year we do about $70 million in assistance. About $50 million of that is a no-interest loan, zero interest. Yeah. About $10 million of those dollars are grants. Soldiers don't have to pay that back. And then we do another $10 million in educational scholarships for spouses and their children. Uh, military members have lots of other programs. So there's no interest on any of the $70 million? Not a, not a cent. That's good. Not a cent. That's good. Now, of course, Born in the Battle is a veteran-centric show. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is, can veterans still take part in any of these relief funds or Army Emergency Relief Fund? Yeah, so all the services are under the same DOD policy for this. When it first, when we first started in 1942, it was only focused on active duty. Yeah. And similar with the other. And, and I remember that from my time in. I just right. remember it was just for active duty. And it has changed over time. So here's a couple of, this is who's eligible for AER. Very Active good. duty and their families, retired soldiers, other service members, and their families, a medically retired if you're receiving a medical retirement pay from Defense Finance and Accounting Service. Survivors, so if you lost your loved one and you're a survivor, you're eligible to come into AER. And then Reserve and National Guard. If you're an active guard reserve, you're already fully eligible. If you're, if you're an, an individual mobilization augmentee, a Title 32, an individual ready reserve, if we bring you on to active duty on the 31st day, you become eligible. Very good. We also waive that frequently. If there's a natural disaster, the most common is, most most recent one that we had that was pretty significant was Hurricane Maria down in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Yeah, That devastated that area. Uh, we provided almost $3 million in grants that they don't have to pay back to reserve and National Guard soldiers that were not called to active duty. We do that for forest fires, floods. I noticed a lot of your press releases have a lot of a lot of disasters on there. Hey, if you're in this area of, of, yeah. of disaster operations, let's say, uh, you guys do offer that. Yeah, so we work very closely with the Army National Guard uh, Bureau as well as the U.S. Army Reserve commanders and sergeants majors. And if they hear about a, or we see it on the national news, if there's a some kind of a natural disaster, we will engage with the local folks. A lot of times we'll talk to the uh, civilian aides, to the secretary of the Army, find out what's going on in their state, and is this something we, we think we want to go ahead and, and waive that requirement for the Reserve and National Guard. I know you got the the Red Cross phone number. Is there any other way to apply 
either online or if you're not near an installation? Yeah, absolutely. You can go online uh, to our website. In fact, we're just changing our website. So our website... Show me, show me the link and I'll put it in the blog. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And right now we don't have an online application process, but you can, on that website, you can go to, you can find any AER office around the world. You put in your zip code, it'll show you where the nearest AER office and the phone to call. You can call them. And again, there's always the Red Cross. Our, we are fielding a new IT system. It'll be fielded the end, by mid to end of this year. It will have an online application process with document upload. So you could be at your barracks or at your home, do all your documentation you need, whether it's a bill for a car repair or or it's your budget or whatever it is, take a picture of that, upload it, and by the time you come into AER, the case is pretty well already ready to go. Gotcha. By the way, we turn away less than 1% of the people that come into AER, and usually if they, that's for something that's prohibited by Army regulation from us supporting, for example, legal fees. Uh, we also don't pay for marriages or divorces, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and the fact that you're bringing that up tells me that's at least been tried. Of course, yeah. Well, <laughs> and the idea is that, you know, this what AER is about is helping you for something that you should have planned for, but perhaps got in a tough spot. Uh, by the way, the most common thing that people come to AER for is, one, is car repair. We also do car replacement up to $4,000. The second in the last few years that's been very common is rent and deposit on rent. PCS do a new installation, don't have on-post housing, got to go off, high-cost area. You, you have to put down a month's rent, a month's deposit, open yeah. up all those things. Yeah. The Department of Defense recently changed back the way it used to be. Used to, The last, I think it's five, six years, when you were PCSing, you used to be able to draw dislocation allowance before you came to your new installation. Yeah, I remember that. What they did, I think, five, six years ago is they said, no, you draw that after you file your claim, after you've already PCSed. That puts some folks in tough spot. Yeah. Department of Defense reviewed it again, said, hmm, this isn't working. So I, I anticipate that the demand for rent and deposit of rent will probably go back down again based on the the, th- the uh, review that DOD did in reinstituting. You can draw dislocation allowance at your current duty station before you PCS. Interesting. And it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Going back to uh, uh, some, you know, it's interesting. I didn't know about the uh, the survivors of fallen service members. Um, talk to me about the scholarships. I, you know, I, I always remember, you know, hey, help you pay your bill. And I remember that part of the really fun. I don't, I don't remember scholarships. So spouses and children can apply for scholarships? Yeah, so all of our programs are needs-based. There's an exception I'll talk about in a minute, but it's based on your family budget, where you are financially, and we take a look at that. So for scholarships, it's again, it's a similar needs-based process. You do have to submit, you go on our website, the scholarship application's there, it's very pretty basic, but you also have to submit a federal aid uh, form. It's called FAFSA. And that kind of lays out your family's ability to cover college. We look at those two things, and then we base the amount of the ward of the grant based on, on your family's ability to pay for college. Almost like a Yellow River program. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. So spouses can apply anytime during the year. The average spouse scholarship is usually around 1800 to $2,000, depending on how many spouses apply and what our board of managers approves. And then, all, and, then for, and then children apply between January and April, kind of focused on the fall semester. Average scholarship for a child is somewhere between 2500 and 3000 Is that going to pay for a full ride to University of Virginia? No, but it gets you started. And you can apply each year that you're in an undergraduate status. 
spouses, as long as they have, go to an acc- uh, apply at an accredited organization, university, could be online. They have to carry at least six hours. Children got to carry at least 12 hours and maintain a 2.0, which for me would have been pretty tough in college, actually, to tell you the <laughs> truth. One other scholarship program I'd really like to highlight, um, we have what's called the 9-11 Scholarship Program. And what this program does is any military, any Army member who was either killed or seriously injured in the Pentagon day of 9-11, this fund pays for the complete education of the spouse or children uh, of that military member to include now graduate school. Uh, we've, we've had about uh, 40 folks go through this program, tune of several million dollars. Every one of them has a story. It's absolutely incredible. And if they get into Harvard, this fund will pay for the full cost of Harvard. So it, it warms your heart. Most recently, Tammy LaCroix brought up this family up to us. They have, the mother has two kids. The daughter has gone to college and used the 9-11 fund, but the son has uh, autism. And she was concerned that when she's no longer around, what's going to happen to her son? So she came and talked to Tammy and said, look, there's a program where I can send my son during the week to a boarding school, learn life skills, comes home on the weekend. That'll give him the ability to to manage life. It's not a traditional college education. And Tammy said, I recommend we approve this. And us and the board is like, no question. Absolutely the right thing to do. And that's the kind of thing that, that gets me up in the morning, gets me to come to work. I mean, what could be better than that? And this young man will now be able to move through life with all its challenges and, you know, made that, made that family, you know, really whole after their terrible loss. You know, one thing I didn't know about uh, Army Emergency Relief uh, Fund was that the VA has somebody on the board. Right. Uh, how, how does that VA representation help you as the director? Yeah, so we have a board of managers that provides us our strategic guidance. Um, the vice chief of staff of the Army is on that. The sergeant major of the Army is on that. Other leaders and other command sergeants majors are on that board. Uh, the spouse of the chief of staff of the Army and the spouse of the sergeant major of the Army are on there. We also are very blessed to have Major General Retired Gina Farrisey who I've known for a long time, we served together. Uh, She's here with the Veterans Administration and she's on our board. Uh, Our chairman brought her on the board specifically to talk to veterans issues and she provides her perspective and it's invaluable to us. And I bounce ideas off off Gina about making sure that we're supporting those veterans that are eligible for AER. I I think that that leadership they provide is, is invaluable. And it, it gives us uh, a touch tone to what's going on in the Army. We also have a number of retired folks that are on our on our board. Uh, Patty Shinseki, uh, the spouse of the former, former Secretary VA. of VA, yeah, yeah. Uh, great, great folks. I see them quite often. She was on our board for decades. Um, she was on the board when she was the chief, when General Shinseki was the was the chief, and then we brought her on the board as our retired senior spouse. We, she just recently retired off the board this past December, and in, gotcha. in recognition of her decades of faith, faithful service to our nation and our Army and the VA, uh, we decided to name our spouse scholarship program the Patty Shinseki Spouse Scholarship Program. You said you have, you have this VA representation on the board. Uh, Give me an example of something that the board learns from their their experience, their leadership, and what they bring from a veteran's perspective, and, and how has that changed your maybe a mission focus towards maybe towards the veterans a little bit that are that are eligible. Sure, yeah. So I think some of the programs that and categories that we've added, particularly some of the medical issues. 
So we have a number of medical categories of assistance. So, for example, and it's up to uh, it's a grant up to four thousand dollars. This could be for wheelchairs, hmm. uh, beds, ramps at your house, heavy blankets for children with uh, autism that helps them feel more comfortable. So that issue of medical stuff, which we we have historically not gotten involved in too much, I think the veterans and all the work that you guys do with your hospitals brought a a perspective into that, that an area that we hadn't really gone into before. And so I think Gina's comments about that, and of course other leaders' comments about focusing on some of the medical needs that are out there, is a relatively new area for us. But it's something I think that, you know, many of these injuries, particularly in the last 20 years, these are generational issues. And uh, we we need to address those. There's lots of other organizations doing it, Wounded Warrior Project, you know, uh, the Fisher House, all those kinds of things are doing magnificent work out there. But we're doing our part as well. So that's the kind of thing that's been brought to us. General Mason, what's one thing that you learned in service that you apply to what you do today? Take care of people. Make the tough calls. Focus on the mission. But if you take care of – one of the things my dad told me, he says, look, if you take care of your soldiers, they're going to take care of you. And I think that's true in all walks of life, frankly. If you take care of your team, your team's going to take care of you. I've been blessed to command at almost every level in the Army, and I, and that is a truism. And, you know, you, you've got to be true to your word. You've got to walk the walk. And some of these things are, you know, kind of you often used and a bit trite, but but they're true. And so the mentors I mentioned earlier taught me that. Take care of people, focus on the mission, uh, make the tough calls, and move out and, you know, close with and destroy the enemy. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Very good. good. Marine thought. I think, uh, we're, you know, this is the right thing to do. We ask a lot of our soldiers and their families, and we've got to give back to them. You know, again, we, we get no federal dollars. Every dollar we get uh, is donated to us, either from active duty, retired, or American citizens and corporations. We receive, as I said, no federal dollars. But in about uh, 90 cents of every dollar goes right back to soldiers. It's one of the best of any nonprofit in the United States. We focus on single soldiers, but also, also married soldiers and their families. We have some pretty good programs for families. One of the things we've recently done is assist with child care. Cost of that, I can go into the details. Uh, we, yeah, please go ahead. Okay, this, so, is, this is all your time. Okay, um, that's a great thing about podcasts is that yeah, as long as the content's good, we can run as long as we want. Okay, well, you know, as as you know, childcare can become pretty expensive, and so we were we were saw that the the chief of staff of the army, the secretary of the army, were concerned about supporting families with childcare. Obviously, our army has become, and all the services have become more and more married. Yeah. I think the number right now is about 65% of the service, active duty service is married. I think it's like 48% have children. Wow. If you look back 10, 15 years ago, those numbers were not that, that high. That was not a thing. Yeah, it wasn't. So the demand is significantly increased for support for families, and child care is a natural thing. And, of course, a lot of families, both, both husband and wife, work dual family so and the, and the child employment. care and the child care has just gotten just so insanely expensive it's it, expensive it's almost like one one income is going straight to child care yeah it can you be know, that way can, yeah and so you know we this the demand has exploded our capability on military installations to meet that demand is is tough you got to build more facilities you got to hire more people my daughter as i mentioned earlier uh, ran child care facilities for five years in stuttgart germany for the army so i have pretty intimate knowledge and in what with the things she did and, and she 
I'm very proud of the magnificent job she did. But anyway, so there's a program called the Fee Assistance Program that the Department of Defense has, all the services have, that when a family PCSs from one installation to another, uh, they go to the child care facility, there's no room there, they have to go off post. And this is particularly acute in high-cost high areas. Yeah. You can apply for the fee assistance program, which gives you gives a, a family fifteen hundred dollars per child per month when they have to go off post for childcare. Wow. Pretty big number, but as you can imagine, as you mentioned, childcare is pretty expensive. So we did an analysis: what what cost beyond fifteen hundred dollars were families bearing? It ended up being about two hundred and fifty dollars beyond that fifteen hundred dollars for the family per month. So we decided to open up a program where we would provide up to $500 per month for the first three months after PCS. We can't provide a check every month. That's not what AER's mission is designed to do. Yeah. What The idea of that 90 days, those three months, is to give the family an opportunity as a shock absorber, take a look at their family budget, where can we trim, where can we adjust, where can we reset priorities to meet this demand. So as long as you're in enrolled in the Army Fee Assistance Program, you come to AER, you are then eligible for up to $500 additional for those first three months to help you get over that that hump. Yeah, for active duty, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. Big thing, big, big thing. thing. Uh, the single most important thing we do, luckily it's not the highest demand, is emergency leave. You may remember this back when you were a Marine. There was a serious illness or a death back in your family back home where you came from, yes, mom, dad, brother, sister, step situation, of the military member or their spouse. That is a, for the Army, that is a 50% grant and a 50% loan. So all the cost you bear, whether that's plane tickets, train tickets, rental, rental car. cars, accommodations, food for you and your family to go back home, a minimum of 50% of that will be a grant and could become a 100% grant depending on your individual circumstances. That second 50% is when we look at the family budget. Roger. Very good. And, and, and the other part is, just like all the services, we are rank agnostic, private to general and everybody in between. The most common rank that comes into really all the relief agencies is E-5s and E-6s. Hmm. And think about it. It kind of makes sense. E-5s and E-6s have been in the Army a little while. Most of them are married. They've begun to gather some debt. You know, they own a car. They're paying on a car. They're paying rent. Maybe they bought a house. They're taking care of kids. They got child care. Starting a family will start doing that sounds, to you. Yep, yeah. sounds real familiar. It's great and all that. But And, and, and your salary, while not bad— if you don't watch, you know, if you don't watch your uh, budget month to month, you can get yourself in a trick. So that tends to be the most common rank that comes to AER. I love Buck Sergeants. E5s are my favorite rank in the in the military, but you know they they're the ones. That's that point where they're under quite a bit of stress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about what about veterans? For those that are eligible, do you have any yeah. metrics on who comes in or? Yeah. So the the majority of the folks that come in are active duty. But in the retired side, in the in the fifty million in loans, the retired is probably about twenty million of that. Oh wow! Uh, in the scholarship side, it's pretty significant too. There's probably three to four million of the dollars that we provide do go to retired folks. Uh, somewhere in the grants, about ten percent of that twenty million ends up being grants for retired folks, and they're all veterans. So yeah, probably a third or so of our demand that comes through the door. Definitely higher than I thought it was. Yeah. Be. Absolutely. Yeah. Sir, any parting shots, any, any, <laughs> any, any sage advice, any, any veteran life hacks that you've learned on your journey after service that you'd like to impart on, on anybody that's listening to this today? Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned the Grams and I think that it kind of brings my thought and I've heard Mark say this, look, 
asking for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. You know, you're taught from day one when you put on the uniform as a military member of the United States, whether it's a Marine and sailor, or Coast Guard man, airman, or a soldier, be tough. You can stand on your own two feet. You can make it. All that's true. But look, life happens. You know, sometimes life throws you some curves, right? And, uh, you know, things could be beyond your control. You could have a house fire, car could break down. You could be just making, you, you could have made some unwise choices. Hey, I made a few in my day. <laughs> I'm sure we all have. Absolutely. More than a few. And so my comment to all military folks is, look, when it don't hesitate. Come on into AER. Come in into to the Navy Marine Relief. Go to Air Force Relief. Go to Coast Guard Relief. That's why we exist. And the young PFC who comes to AER got themselves in a tough spot for some reason, maybe made an unwise choice or, you know, life happens. If we take care of that soldier, maybe he'll grow up or she could grow up to be the Sergeant Major of the Army someday. Hey, somebody's going to be the Sergeant Major of the Army 20 years from now. Why not that PFC, right? PFC Tanner and uh, Iskra. <laughs> could be him, right? So, you know, if, if you put your arm around somebody, you never know how that's going to get paid back. So that's, that's my sage advice. Asking for help is a sign of strength. they need a home, they can get a home loan. If they need education, they can get education. If they were hurt in service, we pay compensation. If you weren't hurt in service, but you fell on hard times, we give you pension. There's just an array of benefits out there for veterans, and we really want to just make sure that all the veterans know what's out there. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov or call 1-855-948-2311. I want to thank Lieutenant General Mason for coming onto the show. Personally, I didn't know that the relief funds for each service have a better support component to them. For more information on the Army Emergency Relief, visit armyemergencyrelief.org. They've recently put up information on their own response to COVID-19. All right, this week's Born the Battle Better of the Week comes by way of, well, he was in the media everywhere. Last week, April 22nd, marked the 16th anniversary of the death of of Army veteran and Ranger, Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman was born on November 6, 1976 in Fremont, California. At school, his football talent led his high school team to the division championship, and it led him to a college scholarship with my alma mater, Arizona State University. Tillman played at ASU from 1994 to 1997, and in 97, he led the Sun Devils to an undefeated season and a trip to the Rose Bowl. He was the team's player of the year and the Pac-10 defensive player of the year. And he was no different in the classroom either. He graduated in three and a half years and won the Clyde B. Smith Academic Award and the Sporting News Honda Scholar Athlete of the Year Award and the Sun Angel Student Athlete of the Year Award. In 1998, the Arizona Cardinals drafted him to play professional football. In his rookie season, he played 10 games, helping the team to its first playoff berth in 51 years. He posted 145 tackles in 2000. And if that wasn't enough, he prepared for the 2001 training camp by competing in a 70.2-mile triathlon. Because of his loyalty to the Cardinals, he rejected an impressive multi-million dollar offer to play for the St. Louis Rams. After the events of September 11, 2001, Tillman completed the remainder of the 2001 season, then turned down a lucrative contract extension from the Cardinals to enlist in the Army. 
After completing training, he entered the Army's Ranger indoctrination course. Tillman then deployed to Iraq during the invasion as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. He completed Ranger School in 2003 and subsequently deployed to Afghanistan as part of Operation Enduring Freedom. Sadly, Pat Tillman was killed in action on April 22, 2004. Following his death, General McChrystal approved Tillman's nomination for a Silver Star, and Senator John McCain delivered a eulogy during a televised memorial service on May 3rd of the same year. After his death, Tillman was commemorated by the Sun Devils, the Cardinals, and the NFL. Both the Sun Devils and the Cardinals retired his number in his honor, and in 2010, the NFL honored Tillman by, ha- by adding him to the NFL Hall of Fame and working with the Pat Tillman Foundation to create a scholarship in his honor. Before Tillman left for Iraq, he told NBC News, My great-grandfather was at Pearl Harbor, and a lot of my family has gone and fought in wars, and I really haven't done a damn thing as far as laying myself on the line like that. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know what you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I am reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you right here next week. Take care.